Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. Grateful for today. Grateful for what uh, I, I feel God uh, has led me to preach this message. I preached this. Me- I'll just be honest. I preached this message before at a um, at a. Uh, it's our turn now, and so I felt like this message at the time when I preached it. It was for then there, uh, and that was a, a minister's conference, and so I, I feel <clears throat> I feel led to preach it here today. And I want to talk about certain things within this message. But uh, the reason I feel led to, to preach it to you today is because I hope, I hope you know that I'm trying to pastor a church of, of not just saints, but disciples who are called to do something but just sit on pews. Yes, right? Could, can I, would it be all right if I try my heart to pastor you like a, like, like a minister, that you are a minister of the gospel? Is that, is that allowable? Would you? <laughs> so take it as such that this, this message is probably to the ministers. All right. And you're the ministers today. And uh, I do want to talk about what this, this word means particular to us. And so, uh, again, Matthew 13. And we're going to start in verse, verse 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. And the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And for, forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Today, I want to preach to you about the weeping in the harvest. The weeping in the harvest. And so I want to ask you to bow your heads with me one more time. Ask God to help us today. God, help us receive that word. Lord, I pray cultivate our soil of the heart right now. I pray let your word be hidden in it. God, take root in us. Fertilize us, God, and water us today. I pray help us to grow in you. Help us to understand what's going on and be sensitive to the hour of need. I pray help me today, God. Help me, O oh Lord, to preach your word. Hallelujah. Help me to make it plain and simple and straightforward, God. We thank you together. And in your name we pray. Would you say his name with me one more time? In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. You may be seated. You know, there, there's just something that happens between that soil, um, that seed, and the sower. Just there's something that's divine that happens between those three things when they're working in perfect harmony. Something absolutely powerful takes place when we do things the right way and we do things in accordance to his word. And I want to focus today on a few things. I want to focus about the seed at first and emphasize some certain characteristics and really one main characteristic about the seed. Here, Jesus gives this parable, and of course, you've heard this preached before, you've heard it taught before, I'm assuming, and so I'm not going to uh, get into the nitty-gritty of the sense of going to uh, the, the text where he describes it and and lays it all in front of us. But I do want to make some some statements about certain things. The seed is so important for us to understand that it never changes. The seed never changes. And of course, you know the seed as the Word of God. The Word of God is always going to be consistent. And I pray that you hope knowing coming here that the Word of God is never going to change. I hope you understand that we're not trying to throw out some type of hybrid seed, some sort, some sort of 
cross-pollinated, man-manufactured, twisted theology seed. I want to give what it, what it actually says. I want, to, I want to understand what the word is for what it is. I don't want to deter from it. I don't want to go another route from it. I don't want to even muddy myself in multiple and multiple crazy translations. I, I want to make sure I know and I keep the word the word. I want us to understand that when we're throwing out the seed, when we're throwing out the word of God, that it is the inspiration of God. It is profitable. It is instructing. It is something that really changes the soul. We have an accomplishing and prospering word that God has given us that goes out and doesn't return void. And we need to understand that the seed must never change. We must not deter from it. We must not change anything or, or add anything, take away anything. The word must stay the same. How many of you are excited that we have a ruler in life, that we have a consistency in life, that I'm telling you right now, when things are changing, when bathroom signs are changing, when places are changing, I'm glad, I'm glad I got a word that's consistent that I can go to that I can run to and I know that is always going to be there the seed must never change I mean it's literally going to get down to it where Christ said it this way in Matthew 24 35 that heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall never pass away that's, that's how consistent this word is always going to be no nuclear bomb can take it away no economic downfall can take it away no book burning by a crazy person can take it away this word will never pass away it stands the test of time it ain't going nowhere. And I, un I want us to understand, if it ain't going nowhere, I need to adhere to it. Right. So number one, the seed never changes. Two, the sower must never stop. The sower must keep throwing out that life-changing word. It's easy to look at the sower and believe that he's aimlessly, as we read that text, as he's aimlessly throwing seed, it looks like, to the, the wayside soil, to the thorny and, and, and a stony soil. It, when you read that text, you, you're thinking to yourself, surely this farmer, the sower, must understand that that soil is no good. Well, let me go ahead and say, yes, a intellectual sower, an intellectual farmer knows absolutely that that soil does not yield multiplication. He knows that. I'll, I'll even go a step further, that our farming indus industry is going through it greatly right now. The price and cost of seed is astronomical. It's so bad that these farmers are losing sleep and they're worrying constantly about how to make ends meet because farmers have a special calculation when estimating how much seed to purchase during sowing season. They look at the plant population on where you want to establish your crop. They look at the TGW of the seed, which is the thousand grain weight. They take the germination percentage of that seed into effect. They looked at the ECE, which is the expected crop emergence. And this kind of determines the time it takes to sow the seed, the quality of seed, and the different management factors. They look at all these types of different areas. They, they take into effect the seed treatment, the sowing depth, and the seedbed quality. They, they take a calculation so precise that they do this math first before buying the seed. Because they know that seed costs. They know. Can I just say that the word of God isn't cheap? Can I tell you that the seed costs great, greatly? And it's so important that the sower understands it. And so when we read that scripture and we see that the seed has fell upon wayside soil and some on thorny soil and some on stony soil, it's easy to look at that and say, this farmer doesn't know what he's doing. But I, I do want to step back and I do want us to understand that, yes, a smart farmer doesn't go aimlessly and haphazardly throwing 
out expensive seed on soil that he knows won't yield, have extreme yield rates. He, he knows that there's those areas that doesn't bring forth certain things. But I can tell you this, that it's something different about the sower, a spiritual sower today. Someone who understands that, you know what, I don't know what the word of God could possibly do in this area. Right. Intellect tells us there's no growth there. But God's not asking us to be smart and intellectual sowers. He's calling us to be hopeful sowers. It's absolute foolishness to throw costly seed into poor soil. But 1 Corinthians 1.27 reminds us that God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And have the base things of the world and the, the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, the things which are not to bring forth or to bring not things that are. 1 Corinthians 1.21 tells us it pleased God. God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So if I can tell you it this way, our job is to keep on sowing that seed wherever we can. Alright? My hope is that seed gets underneath that area in that place of ugliness and addiction. My hope is that that seed can get to a dark corner of this world. That I, Yes, I know there's thorns around it. Yes, I know it's stony soil. Yes, I know it's some wayside soil. But I I've got a hope. I've got a faith that that word can do something in somebody's life. My God, as a sower, we must cast the seed everywhere and trust in hope. We, he will give the increase. I, I think about some drug addicts that are in the in the church today because someone sowed in an ugly dark place. I think of some families who don't deserve to be here today because some preacher, some soul winner, some somebody in a church said, "You know what? I just gotta put I gotta put the seed right over here in this dark place." I thank God for His seed that all it wants to do is take root. But I want us to understand this about the soil. The soil, this ground, must be priority. Good ground, I want us to hear this. Good ground doesn't just happen by accident. No such thing as automatic good ground. When the pilgrims came, if you've ever been, uh, if you've ever had the chance to visit New England area, those big cities that developed over time, and if you start to drive out into the country area, you see these large stone walls all over the place. These stone walls separate property lines, but these stone walls were stones that were, that were cultivated from that very ground. Took all that ground, that luscious green grass they have out there now, the, the pretty flowers that grow with no problem. That wasn't the way. It's not like they landed on Plymouth Rock and it was all good soil. None of it was good soil. They had to cultivate it. They had to make it priority. Why should the ground be priority? Because it means everything to the harvester. A harvester in the field must cultivate every type of soil in order for it to become good soil. Meaning that the wayside soil must cease to be forgotten about soil. The wayside soil must cease to be the edge of our burden soil. The wayside soil must become soil that we, good soil, introduce ourselves to it. That's how wayside soil becomes good soil. You take something that is so ugly and out of the way and you introduce some love to it and you introduce some goodness to it and you cultivate it with some nutrients and you bring it in to the goodness of God. I want us to understand that we have to change the way we handle wayside soil. We have to change the way we handle stony soil because stony soil must be cultivated by shovels and tillers of patience and long-suffering. It will take time and effort and pain to break up hard ground. I'm telling you, farming ain't easy and flower beds ain't fun. I can tell you that because my mom had a bunch of them. My parents would say it's my mom would come home from a Saturday and they would open that back trunk and I hated that moment because I knew what was in the back of that trunk. Bunch of dumb little flowers. 
Oh, how pretty did that look? And I didn't care about the beauty of those flowers. Because I knew dad was going to say, come on out. Time to pick some weeds. Because before those pretty flowers could get in that bed, there's some cultivating that had to take place. I always wondered why my mom never enjoyed cultivating. She just liked planting. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, stony soil is the type of soil that has hardness in it. it has some real deep-seated hardness in it that it's going to take the church to have some long suffering. It's going to take a church to have some patience when dealing with the hardness of that stony soil. There's going to be times where we don't understand their hardness. So we hit a boulder or we hit a rock in relationship and we have to, we have this, sure, we have this awesome opportunity to yell back, to scream back, to give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but instead we love them. Instead, we give them some patience. We give them some grace and some mercy. We allow ourselves to know and understand there's a process to making this soil good. Then there's thorny soil. Thorny soil begs for the hands of a harvester to help rip out the thorns of old relationship with new godly relationship. What happens with that type of soil is that the thorns would grow and choke out the word. There's people who hear the word of God today that walk out of this church. They don't go hang out with church people. They go hang out with those old people. Yeah. I'm not saying that they got to give up all their friendships in life, but it might be a good idea. Yeah. I'm saying that they, we need to introduce our friendships to them. We need to be aggressive in saying, hey, how are you doing? Not just on a Sunday, not just on a Monday, but a Tuesday, a Thursday, a Friday. That's right, and even a Saturday. Yeah. It's okay to have friends outside of this church. It's, so, it's okay to grow with each other and know each other. It's going to take that type of relationship to help us to cultivate and rip out those thorns in their life. I don't want, my, I don't want some of these new people to come into this church and be introduced to the newness of God. And as they walk out excited and, and looking forward to what God is going to do, that all of a sudden an old relationship comes and begins to swallow them up. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to take away their growth. It's going to take away what God has for them. But they need hands of relationship, our relationship. These soils must be a priority to a harvester in the field. And if you, let me just say this clearly, if you don't love the soil, then don't be a sower. Don't do it. <laughs> if you don't love, if you don't love people, if you don't care for people, truthfully care for people, even people at their worst, even people in their wayside ways or in their stony ways or thorny ways, let me tell you what, don't even bother trying to pick this up and scatter it in their life. Don't do it. Don't do it if you're not willing to work and willing to get calluses on your life and get some bruising on your hand and some cuts on your fingers in relationship. Don't do it if you don't have any patience or long-suffering or if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit that has some temperance, that has some gentleness, I'm, I'm urging you, don't pick up the seed and spread it around. We'll speak to some Facebook sowers here, some social media sowers in the house today. Be careful. Be careful doing that. Be careful spreading out a message. Be careful spreading out a word or even affirming someone else's word if you're not willing to grow in relationship with someone who hears that word. Right, right. <sighs> God didn't call you to be just a share button. Oh, my God. God didn't call you just to be a like button either. I wish there was a do button. That's what we need, what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do the word. We're supposed to keep these ordinances. We're supposed to, we're supposed to practice what we preach. I'm here to tell you, there's divine beauty that takes place when the seed, the sower, and the soil all work in perfect harmony. The harvest will bear fruit in record numbers. Sometimes we'll get 30. Sometimes it'll be 60. Sometimes it'll be 100%. But if just one of those elements are out of harmony, out of sync, there is weeping in the harvest. 
My message today is to bring awareness to this weeping and this harvest, to try to bring out some things. And I just want to start off and let you know it has nothing to do with the seed. <laughs> it's not an issue with the seed because let me tell you what, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Isaiah 48 will tell us the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. I'm here to also announce that Psalms 12 and 6, the words of the Lord are pure words and silver tried in a furnace of earth pure seven times. The psalmist will say again in 119 and 160, thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. It has nothing to do with this. This is not the problem. And I'm going to tell you this, <laughs> the soil isn't the problem either. This isn't an issue with the soil. We can't blame wayside soil for being wayside soil. Can't just look at stony soil and say, shame on you for being stony soil. Or thorny soil for being so sharp and hurtful. We can't do that. And they are what they are. We have to understand that. We have to, we have to take that in. That if we love to play the if game, that, that if they just do this or just do that. Let me tell you, that's, that's the game I play all the time in the back of my head. <laughs> a game that I never win at. But I'm telling you what the issue lies on. The issue lies with the harvester. Yeah. I want us to understand as we move forward that I'm, I'm, I'm trying my hardest to pastor a church that doesn't mimic the mega church down the street. It's not trying to even be, I'm, I'm, I hate to say this, but this is, I, I mean this as clear as possible. I'm not trying to build a church I came out of. I'm not. I'm trying to build a church that the Word of God has a template for. What the book of Acts has told me to be. Let me tell you what. We, 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 we do ourselves a disservice. Have you ever messed with a copy machine before? You take that, that, that perfect copy, right? And you put it in that Xerox and you press copy. And it spits out another copy. Then you would take that copy and remove it and copy the copy. And then do that again and do that again. You're going to left with a blank sheet of paper over time. Because bits and pieces are not picked up in that process. Little, little pieces here. And I'll tell you right now, I, I, feel, I feel with the multi-generations of churches that we had, we have, we've gone a long way from copying each other and copying each other. But if I get back to the Word of God, if I get back exactly what the book of Acts tells us to do and tells us to be, then I promise you we'll be original and authentic just like they were so many, so many years ago. I want to live like the word of God says. Am I grateful for the church I came out of? Yes. Am I grateful for the examples that they did? Yes. Are they copying another church? No. They're copying the word of God. I've got to copy the word of God. I'm not trying to be somebody else's church. I'm trying to be what the book of Acts is calling us to be. And then because of that, I see certain things that show some healthy, healthy areas that we're adhering to. But there's something that jumps out, something that I want to bring to you right now. Because apostolic revival is absolutely contingent on whether or not we have apostolic unity. Plain and simple. If we're not brothers, if we're not in this together as a church body, then we are not going to experience real apostolic revival. We're not going to experience book of Acts type of teaching and book of Acts type of victory. We're not going to have it if we're fighting each other internally. My friend preached a good word last Sunday and he said a quick snippet of something. He said, we're called to the community. But if I can't win anybody in my community, if I can't get along with you in this community, I'm not going to win anybody out in that community. I'm not going to touch anybody's heart if I have a problem with somebody in that house today. There is, this is where God spoke to me the most and he showed me 
some things here. And, and, and as I look at this, and I, I, sometimes I frustrate myself and whether I need to sacrifice a little more and fast a little bit more. And I agree, I, everyone can. And pray a little bit harder. And I believe everyone can. I, I Study harder. Yes, I can do all those things. But it's not just that. It comes to a place where there has to be unity in the body. There has to be a time where we stop fighting with each other internally. And I want us to understand that we will frustrate ourselves trying to grow this community and trying to be, uh, I should say, trying to put our foot inside this community and get inside and win some people. We will frustrate ourselves to no end if we do not address the brotherhood. We're called... Let me just say this. We're called to revivals of entire cities. I look at, I look at Jonah and I think to myself, my God, could you imagine going into one city, preaching one word, and the entire city go to repentance and put on sackcloth and ashes such a way that it saves an entire city? We've, we, we, we've, I feel that the carbon copies have gotten us so far away to what revival really looks like. And now revival, we call revival just having goosebumps on a Sunday. Oh, it was a good day. We had a couple of visitors. And I'm, I'm not, not saying I'm not enjoying the goosebumps. And I'm not saying I don't want visitors. And I'm not saying I'm not extremely happy for the one or two people who get baptized or the one or two who get filled in the Holy Ghost. But we're so far, far from the day of like Acts 8 where a preacher goes into an entire city and preaches Jesus and the entire city runs to altars. We're so far away from that standard where men of God come in and lay hands on an entire city and they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did that happen? It happened not just because of prayer and devotion of men of God. It happened because those brothers were unified. Philip in Acts 8 could have, could have hung up his boots. I know I, know I would. I know, I know for sure that if I went to a city and I preached Jesus and everybody repented and was baptized, I'd find a way to, to, to downplay my ministry and say, God, I'm sorry I couldn't get them all the way. I'm sorry I couldn't get them not just through the water but through the spirit as well as you said in John chapter 3. But no, that's not what he did. He, he, he went to his brothers. He went to, he went to his body and say, this is where I'm at. And the body said, we've got brothers who are going to fight with you. They send other apostles and they begin to lay hands on people. My God. It could have been easy just to hang up ministry right then and let the devil whisper in your ear that you can't bring anybody to completion. But that's not what happened. What whispered in his ear was God to go somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And there he finds a eunuch just trying to read scripture, trying to figure things out for himself. And he says, you understand what you read? How can I if someone doesn't teach me, if someone doesn't lead me and guide me? And what, did, what does he do? He doesn't change the format. He doesn't change the seed. He gives the same seed he gave to that city of Samaria to that one single soul and when that happened let me tell you what talk about some wayside soil talk about out of the way soil <laughs> talk about on the road to nowhere soil that's exactly where he was at I think that's, that God affirmed some things in Philip's life and proved to him in that moment that you're my man don't question your ministry. I brought you here for a moment and a purpose. Because when I, what, could you imagine that moment when he baptizes that eunuch in the water? Woo! He comes up, probably to praise and rejoice, and he's in the middle of a street of a different city somewhere else. <laughs> That's it. That's awesome. Woo! Whoa, where am I? Right. Transported to a whole other place. There's got to be some good feelings after that. You've got to affirm you're in the will of God after that. I'm here to say this. That I want, I want what we see in the book of Acts. I've talked about this before, Acts 19 and 6. You see these disciples of John, of, of John the Baptist. They're coming. They, they hear about Jesus and they're all baptized. But verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Man, 
I love that. I want that. <laughs> but we never really emphasize the prophesying thing there at the end. We never give way to a new convert prophesying a word into your life. You know why? Because of the spirit of skepticism that is so heavy in the body. Skepticism. It's easier to foster than faith. Skepticism is easier to develop than spiritual sensitivity. Skepticism is weak flesh manifesting itself around others. And I fear that if we have allowed skepticism to close the mouth of prophecy from one of our own fellow laborers. I fear that sometimes we can't work with each other because of the skepticism within our own heart. Instead of worrying about my own walk and worrying about my own life and understanding what I have to do for myself, I look up. I mean, I, I didn't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to get myself in trouble anyhow. We've got, we, 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 we got no problem with certain things in, in, in Scripture, but we've got problems with several things in Scripture. Right. Either we're for it all or we're against it all. Let me, let me try, to, try to make myself a little bit more clear as I go forward. Here, Paul, I want us to see what Paul does, you know, in Acts 15. And understand the context of Acts 15. There's a council that has happened in Jerusalem. They've come together. They've come to, to discuss an issue that's happening in their revival. All right? There's an issue going on there that, about the necessity of physical circumcision after the manner of Moses. And... and you can read it for yourself. I won't spend a lot of time. But there's something that happens during that meeting. And really, you learn about it and read more clearly about it in Galatians 2 and 11. This is, but, this is Paul. But when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul, I, withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. My, my. I'll pause right there. That's what we need. We need people to be man, man enough to walk to your face and say, I've got a problem with you. Amen. I have an issue with you. <laughs> I'm not going to go around and talk about it with somebody else. I've got a problem with you. I want to go straight to you, just like, just like Christ told us to do. I'm going to come right to you, right in that council. Look, look what happens. Next verse. For before that certain came from James... He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Oh boy, I want to be cool with the cool people. Yes. The other Jews dissembled likewise with him. They all got up and they all moved tables at the lunchroom. Insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But get what verse 14 say, says. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. I said unto Peter before them all, if thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Amen. I, want us to, I want to emphasize some things here. Not the boldness of Paul, even though that's a very appropriate thing, but I want to talk about this great Peter. The Peter that was the rock of the church. The Peter that stood up. The very first Pentecostal preacher to ever wear shoe leather. Preacher of preachers. The man, the myth, the legend. The ear cutter. The water walker. He the man. <laughs> some know him as Peter. Some know him as Petros. Some know him as the rock. Some Simon. But let me tell you something about him. For him to take rebuke from an ex-Christian murderer. You have to understand this moment is so powerful, especially in the book of Acts, because it tells the health of the body, the health of the brotherhood, that he will take rebuke. And I want us to hear this right now. Rebuke within spiritual unity is not an attack. It is protection. I'll say it again. Rebuke within spiritual unity is not an attack. It is your protection. 
And we see, we need, we need this type of rebuke in our life. Just like 2 Tim 4 and 2 tells us to be instant, right? To preach that word. Be instant in season, out of season. Be their best friends. Cuddle them. Buy them Starbucks. Just give them high fives. Just, just say, hey, bro. Great to have. No. Reprove them. Rebuke them. And get them to Starbucks afterwards. <laughs> Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. I want to I bring up that point about that rebuke right there. That re- word rebuke is a powerful word. It's not the same type of word you find in 1 Timothy 5 and 1 where it tells us specifically, rebuke not an elder. That's a different type of rebuke. That rebuke in 1 Timothy 5 and 1 is a chastening. It's a whipping. It's, 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 it's what you think rebuke is. It's what many feel like what rebuke is. But rebuke in 2 Timothy 4 and 2 is a different rebuke. It means to add the tax to. It means to charge more. Another way of looking at it, it means to raise the bar. So when we rebuke each other in the spirit of unity, what we're saying is, you are better than that. You can do better than that. You're stronger than that. I see greatness in you. I see that you can love harder. I can see that you can forgive greater. I can see that you have more patience in you. I know you've got the Holy Ghost. Therefore, I know there's some fruit that can be born off those branches. Come on, give a little bit more. Do a little bit more. Be a little bit better. This is what rebuke looks like in perfect unity in the body of Christ. I believe Peter would really just give an ear to Paul through this process of his rebuke because of what Paul would admit to in 1 Corinthians 15 and 9. When he says this, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle. I'm not even meet to be called an apostle because I've persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, not my work, not my doing, not my extra praying, not my extra fasting, or my extra study. Not I, but it's the grace of God which was within me. I'm here to tell you that right there is so vital. It's so important that in the brotherhood that you you need to recognize and witness It's not their doing when it's time to do good. It's grace that's doing good. I've got a problem. I mentioned this beginning of our altar service or our our lesson about, about heaven to earth, about the first piece of furniture, the altar of sacrifice. And I talked about this talked about this platform because I really uh, the longer I pastor the more I hate it because it's amazing what 20 inches of raised platform can do to the spirits of certain people here because what's no one has a problem with grace being grace on floor level but when grace is elevated for some reason, I don't know what it is. Something happens to the heart of certain people. Something takes. Something happens, and they take it the wrong way, and they 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 begin to make things up in their mind, and they begin to attack them internally. I'm here to tell you, it's still grace. I'm here to tell you right now, this preacher, this pastor, is only standing up here for one reason and one reason alone, and that's his perfect grace. I don't deserve. I don't deserve to be up here. Okay? There's nothing I've done in my life to have earned this position. There's nothing I've done to be called your pastor except for God appointed me as such. And sometimes I argue with God, God, why me? Why did you have to knock on my door? Why would you have to choose me? I do that a lot lately. 
But I'm telling you right now, I need to stay submitted to the fact that what put me here is what I have to honor as well. It's what I have to understand and see clearly. I'm here to tell you this. If you want to know where I stand when it comes to this, go ahead and judge me by me and my family. Go ahead and judge me by my wife. I have a holy wife. I have a wife that loves like no other. I have a wife. Thank you, Lord. I have a wife that sacrifices like no other. I have a spouse who gives like no other. I have a wife who, who hurts like no other. She gives, she gives, she gives. She lives holy. She doesn't wear anything uncomely. She doesn't, she doesn't wear anything immodestly. And I have two awesome girls who follow suit, who live that way, who walk that way, who are obedient to their family, who love their parents, who honor their parents. Holy Ghost. Let me get through this. I have, I have these things because I've yielded to God. But if you want to know how I pastor. If you want to know where I stand on how I pastor, then judge me by who I work with. Judge me by who I serve with. Judge me by the fact that I will not continue. I will not continue to hold hands with elitists. I will not walk hand in hands with hypocrites. I will not be okay with the pharisaical or the spirit of a scribe and say, you know what? I'm just going to keep washing the outer cup and care less about the inside. I'm not going to be someone who pairs up and be someone who's with dead men bones. I, I want you to hear me today. I'm going to love like someone else love, and that's like Christ. I want to love just like him. I'm going to I'm going to do my best to forgive just like him. Does it mean I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater? Absolutely not. But I want us to hear it this way. I, we need a stronger bond of you Unity. And if you're wondering what, what to unify on, please unify behind my vision here. And my vision is this. We're going to love like we were loved. <laughs> That's it. We're going to love like we were loved. We're going to have patience like we were given patience. We're going to care like people cared for us. I I'm here to tell you, I'm going to give the way I was given. Hallelujah. This is what I want us to be. I want us to be unified in this. Because if we're not unified, if we're not on this one page together, if we're not flowing the same way, there's division in the body. Yeah. And when there's division in the brotherhood, we frustrate, frustrate ourselves in the harvest. Hallelujah. I'm here to do my best to tell you it's okay to admit that you're the least in the room. I'm the least in the room. I am. I'm the least. I'm the least in the room. If you know where I have been, if you've known some of the thoughts that have crossed my mind at times, I'm the least in the room. Hallelujah. I try to live better. I try to do my best to serve you and serve God in, in perfect harmony. I, I fail at times. I, I, I'm here to tell you I frustrate myself when I try to build my, myself by my own bootstraps. And I have to realize that my weakness is made perfect. My my weakness is made perfect in him and I've yielded that to him and I said God help me but I want us to hear this we need a spirit of humility it's okay if we admit that I'm not the best it doesn't take away one iota from your calling it doesn't take one ounce away from your anointing it doesn't do any of that when, when Paul says I am I'm the least of the apostles yeah it didn't stop him from starting more churches it didn't stop him from growing more people. I want us to understand this mindset is the, is the mindset of Christ. Philippians 2 and 2 says this, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 
letting nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Today, as I'm trying to close this and we can all stand. There was a moment in Isaiah chapter 2. The Lord gives Isaiah a vision of the Lord's future reign on Judah and Jerusalem. And in that vision, the Lord will settle disputes. He tells, uh, he tells them in that verse, Isaiah 2 and 4, and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What was once weapons of aggression against each other, they have now become harvesting tools for the field. No longer am I taking a knife or a sword to pierce you in your back. I've, I've decided I'm going to beat this tool of aggression into something that manages and cultivates the soil. The earliest lesson of brotherhood is a sad one. But it's, it's, it's where I get my, my message today. It teaches us something today in Genesis 4 and 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what hast thou done? Because the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. I'm here to tell you today that when Cain killed his brother, it was the crying of the ground that filled the ears of God. When we attack each other, we're not synced up in unity. When I've got ill will or a problem or just, just an, just, you, you know, you, you didn't wave at me that one Sunday. <laughs> I've got bitterness on my heart. I've got a problem with somebody in here. If I've got a circumstance, if I'm willing to keep that in my spirit, all I'm willing to do is put you in the ground. <sighs> Let me tell you what suffers. It's not just you. It's definitely not the person you're embittered at. It's the, it's the harvest that is weeping today. It is, the, it is the revival in our city that's crying out to God saying, God, why won't you send a harvester? Why won't you send a preacher? Why won't you send someone to save our soul? God will look at us and ask us why. And we will reply, Am I my brother's keeper? I'm telling you, the answer is yes. You are your brother and your sister's keeper. I'm telling you right now that we need to understand we're called to a higher level. If I told you today that if I'm preaching to ministers that I'm going to treat you more ministry, you're called for better, you're called for more, you're called to be tougher, you're called to be more fruitful, you're called to do more and just sit on seats. You're called to be a harvester in the field. Let me tell you what. Jesus would teach us in Matthew 9 and 37 it says then saith he unto his disciples the harvest truly is plenteous but the labors are few pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into the harvest and I say this don't you dare pray this prayer if you're not willing to be in unity with the harvester don't you dare Utter this type of prayer 
Send forth laborers. If you won't be brothers with a laborer, if you won't care for them enough to reach out to them and bear your grievances, come to them and be truly apostolic. Like Galatians 6 and 2, to bear ye one another's burdens and so fill the law of Christ. Or Romans 12 and 10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Verse 15, rejoicing with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Or maybe in Acts 20, 35, like the great apostle preached all the time, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I say this, help somebody who's not as strong as you. If you're tough, stop being tough and bear someone else's burdens. Be someone who connects with someone in here. I'm going to open this altar, but I'm going to open it in such a way. I'm asking you to actually close your eyes right now. But, uh, I feel like the Spirit wants to speak today. Come on, let's respond. Let's respond. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's two places I got to go first. Today, I hope you hear me today, church. Go to an altar first. Lay down bitterness. Lay down a hurt feeling. Lay down a strife you continue to carry. Lay down, oh God, those things that you've carried with you for far too long. Weep before the Lord. Ask him for strength. The second place you need to go to is to that fellow brother or that fellow sister in the house. I want you to embrace them. I want you to make right what was wrong. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Let's be unified. Let's live in that perfect human unity right now. by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church please visit EphesusChurch.com Thank you for being a part of